Michael here. I'm actually not going to be a part of this interview. I was out with the flu whenever the call happened, unfortunately. Chase and John had some great conversation, a lot of great things to say. I hope you guys really enjoy it. As always, this is Versus Labs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Versus Lab podcast, episode four. We're doing an interview today with uh, John Tata. Am I saying that right? Tata, yeah. Tata, okay. So it's just like the English pronunciation. That's right. Uh, no lawn A's, nothing like that. Nope. Um, Michael wishes very dearly that he could be with uh, with us today, but he is currently a victim of some sort of influenza thing going on. And based on my conversation with him earlier, he's pretty much half dead. So it's just going to be the two of us flying today. Um, so I guess we'll just get right to it. John, what, what brought you to Versus? Were you part of the original game? What was your interest driven by? Yeah, well, to date my age here, uh, I've been playing card games for probably 20 years. Uh, started with Magic, of course, probably, you know, like many other people. And uh, once, see, I think the second game I got big into was the Star Wars CCG by Decipher. Oh, and, I remember that. That, yep. that had the, um crate like you would go through your deck about three or four times a game. So right. it became almost <laughs> like a memory exercise. Yep, that's exactly what it was. It was, it was, it was basically card counting. And then, uh, you know, after playing in a handful of, uh, you know, big magic events and the star wars game uh versus came out and you know i was starting college around that time i think it was around 2001 right isn't that when versus came out mm -hmm. and uh yeah so i jumped right into that uh qualified for the first pro circuit and then just started playing pretty seriously from that point and uh you know love the game it's one of my all-time favorite games and uh you know i i love the ip and uh you know that's what really drew me to it and then the fact that, that they had a pro circuit as well as, you know, cash events, you know, of course, that was just icing on the cake for me anyway. And, uh, yeah, you know, got big into that and then played Magic some more after that, after Versus died. I uh, played the WoW card game and then now, uh, yeah, playing the new Versus. <laughs> Came for the money and stayed for the flavor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> to, to talk about the old Versus just real quick again, you know, while the money did probably bring me to the game after playing the game it is truly like my all-time favorite game like the engine was incredible yeah the the mutual shared turns really drew me to the game and the fact yeah. that and this is something that the current versus actually mirrors to a degree not the shared turns but like it seemed like most games were decided by a whole bunch of incremental decisions that you make related to the formations that you made related to your sequencing related yeah. to your attack sequencing so like i I always felt very rewarded. It felt like uh, versus felt like chess with a wild card to me. I felt like yeah. normally the better player won most games. Yeah, when when people ask me, you know, what is the old versus system like, I would say, well, it's like playing chess with cards. You know, while every game is different, you know, a lot of the games are still the same. You know, the the best player typically wins, and that's what I really liked about the game. You saw that on a totally huge scale with the original verses, and right. you see a lot of echoes of that here. I feel like it shed some of the complexity, enough complexity mm -hmm. for it to be accessible, but it yeah. retained enough of it for it to be deep still. And I'm I'm sure, glad they yeah. kind of hit that note. Yeah, and you know when when I was doing the coverage uh, at, at Gen Con, I walked around the room and talked to you know various old pros, and you know I'd, I'd ask them, what do you like about the new game? And almost every single person said that it really surprised them with the, you know, uh, the complexity that it uh, maintained from the old game. You know, while the game was, I don't want to say dumbed down because it really, you know, that's not the best word for it. It, it is an easier game to learn, uh, but it still maintains a lot of complexity. Yeah, absolutely. You still you still see a skill cap really kind of influencing how people are looking at the game. Like, um, and we see this kind of borne out when we start fleshing out small, not necessarily arguments or disagreements, but on like, say the versus Facebook group that's mm -hmm. put together, you know, you'll see a fair amount of like, not necessarily disagreement there, but like who wins in a fight between like a Thanos deck and a Star-Lord deck and why, right. you yeah. know, and which would Storm rather play against? I remember it was a thread on there a week or two ago, so... Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of disparate views, and I think part of that is because everybody's playing with kind of a different pool, so to speak. So. Yeah, well, it's kind of goes back to the you know play groups, and uh, you know 
there are casual players or more s serious players and uh you know once those two groups start talking to each other it's like the uh the uh main group not i don't say main group the group that plays more seriously you know they might play more often and test more decks whereas the casual group might just play four or five games a week and just you know say this deck's really good or this deck's really bad without really you know giving it the fair fair shake you know really testing the matchups and things like that so when someone plays their thanos deck against you know green goblin or you know the uh, bottom group of you know main characters iron man green goblin so on and so forth sure the, the deck's you know really good but when you start playing against the main tournament decks you'll start to see the decks are a little bit more even so like i i personally think that there are about six or seven main characters that I would take to a tournament and feel like I could do pretty well with. I think the game's very, very well balanced overall. Yeah, and the fact that if you take like take a look at the percentage of main characters that is, you're looking at almost half of them are considered competitively playable, and that's yeah. definitely speaks high volumes to uh, upper deck's ability to balance it to some degree. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always like the more I play, like the older I get, the more I look at things with kind of a design hat every once in a while. And I'm always kind of like searching for design space. Like, where did they balance this? Why does this card feel different than the others? Did it start out too powerful and they brought it back down a notch or did it start out not powerful enough? Like, I think that's probably the reason that Cosmo has three toughness because yeah. they intended for him to be a very powerful effect, but they didn't want him cleared by other one drops for the most part. Yeah. And that's probably something they sussed out through testing. Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I feel the same way about that. So um, talk to me a little bit more about your Gen Con experience. Very few of us were able to get there, but obviously the game has grown far beyond. It's kind of interesting because it's like the Big Bang, right? It's the origin of the competitive scene. It's where a lot of people take their first deck list from. Um, how was that experience like for you? Uh, overall, uh, Gen Con was was awesome. I I feel like Upper Deck really came through, uh, you know, on a lot of their promises to the you know community. Um, you know, I I think a lot of people on the first day on on Thursday uh, kind of got a sour taste in their mouth because Upper Deck did run out of you know content. They they ran out of versus uh, on on the first day after like I'd say two hours. And I think that caught them off guard. Now, they, they did get more in, of course, and on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they had more than uh, they could sell. But – and then the, the tournament room on the first day uh, was a disaster as well. There were 700 side events going on at one time, and they only had about five employees you know, running all these. So they were a little bit overworked and overwhelmed. But after they got their feet on the ground, uh, you know, they did a, a terrific job. And uh, but you know the tournament was awesome. Uh, Chad Daniel, the main judge, uh, he's pretty active in the Facebook group as well. He did a great job judging. Uh, you know Michael Palmer. There's a handful of other people who also helped judge. Uh, they did, they all did a great job as well. Uh, but the whole experience, you know, was was really awesome. Uh, if if people haven't been to Gen Con, uh, even like versus system aside. Uh, you know, it's it's a great time. You know, if if you like games at all, it's really a, a place that you want to try to go to at least you know once in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's somewhat the uh, mecca for card games, and it's yeah, been a while it's, since it's I've great. hit one. And I I hear they only get bigger and better every year. So yeah, this year I think it was like another eight or ten percent growth uh, over the last year. Like over the last I think five years, they've grown ten percent each year, and it just keeps getting larger and larger and, and larger and uh you know the the tournament uh the the versus system 10k uh it pre-registered for 200 and i think 20 or 230 players and only i think 199 showed up for for the event but uh yeah it, it was a uh, you know it was a huge huge uh success you know the game was popular all over the place and uh you know i was really happy to see that yeah, for a game that just came out, it's amazing to get that kind of a draw. And um, I know after kind of seeing and getting to vicariously live some of the Gen Con experience, I know that um, at least most of the guys in my group were very committed to going to Gen Con next year just to see what the uh, new release will bring and kind of get a taste of that flavor. Yeah, and, you know, like a lot of people were saying before the game even came out that they didn't feel like Upper Deck was doing a great job with advertising. And while that may be true... Uh, I, I think they really underestimated 
uh, how big of a platform Gen Con is. You know, you're catering to you know sixty thousand gamers. Like that, that is the advertising mecca. Like if you want to put out a game, that's where you do it. And the fact that they sold out of all of their product, I th- I, you know, I think it's a sign saying, hey guys, look, you know, we will support this game, but we just really want to get it out, you know, out the door and uh, on our feet. So. Yeah, word of mouth seems to kind of spread the game like wildfire. At least that's been our experience here. Yeah. yeah you know, once you've played a few games, it's it's pretty easy to watch people really start to sink their teeth into it, and you kind of get that addictive aha moment that teachers have in classrooms, hopefully. You know, right. where you see somebody like, oh, I can actually put Doc Ock in the back row and almost guarantee drawing a card with these guys. You know, you kind of... You know, it's wonderful to watch those people grow, and it's wonderful to grow the game. And I know you've had success, some success at growing the game in your area, and I wanted you to yeah. kind of just share a little bit of your blueprint, a little bit of your secret in order to expose people to the game and you know try and start growing it a little bit more effectively. Yeah, and I I have a little bit of uh, you know a luck on my side there in that my local store, they also support the Fantasy Flight uh, Living Card Games, and uh, you know, and uh, the Netrunner game in particular. And uh, so, while the shop is mostly Magic, just like you know most other shops out there, uh, there is a group that plays uh, Living Card Games. So when Versus System came out, all I had to do was approach that group as well as some uh, uh, Magic players that I know as well, saying, you know, hey guys, look, I have a, a bunch of product from Gen Con. I wanted to teach you this new LCG. And you know, the, the people who love LCGs are like, yeah, sure, you know. Sh- show me the game so you know i showed them the game uh i, I had a few extra sets from gen con uh, i won a couple winner boxes and bought a, a few extra sets myself so i you know I gave a few out to some of the players uh you know got them interested they told their friends and now the group is up to like eight to ten people so really all all you have to do and this sounds you know a lot easier than it really is but go to your local shop talk to the shop owner, see if they'll order like two or three in, you know, and then just start demoing the game, you know, set up a day, a time, you know, whatever, sit there for four or five hours and just show people the game. That's the best thing that you could do. And then after that, it kind of just takes off uh, from there. And and if it doesn't, you know, at, at least you tried, but you know, the game's not going to grow if you don't at least try to grow it. Yeah, it's, it's in this weird holding pattern where it's definitely caught on enough with like a fan base similar to Netrunner where it's going to have enough people to sustain it but I can tell that lots of people are kind of craving the next level from an organized play point of view yeah and also from like just trying to see this game because I it was never designed to compete with magic I mean Upper Deck said as much but it could really kind of redefine the price point and get people more into the idea of the living card game because Netrunner um, one of its draws is that it's so sci-fi, but that's also kind of one of its downfalls as well, is people are kind of craving that fantasy itch, that action itch. They don't necessarily get that as much. Yeah, and well, plus Netrunner is just a, you know, a, a great game on its own. But uh, Fantasy Flight does a pretty great job with organized play for uh, their games, uh, especially Netrunner. And they, they weren't always like that. And I feel like once they started to to like introduce like the regional store championship national worlds you know platform that the game really really took off. Nationals at Gen Con last year and this year uh, for Netrunner had like 250 people or something ridiculous. And I think that if Versus System can come up with some sort of similar platform maybe not the same structure but something similar that the game could really really take off uh i i hate to say it but if if they just do the hobby league uh i don't think that the game is very sustainable in in the long term i think that they need to introduce uh some sort of like regional national sort of you know tournament structure Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely fear that without the appropriate amount of op the game is destined to become more of like um a curiosity or more like kind of like a cube mentality yeah where like we've got this great game we play it sometimes among friends but we're not necessarily driven to go out and find people to play it with us you know and that, 
that kind of will unfortunately stop new cards from coming out, and eventually you'll get stagnation. Yeah. You, you just don't want to go down that road. Yeah, and they don't even have to have cash events. Like, I don't know if, if, if that's their worry. Like, they don't have to have cash events. They, they could have other prizes. Uh, Fantasy Flight, you know, to go back to them, uh, they don't give out cash at their events. They uh, basically print their own money in the form of uh, really cool promos and, uh, you know, and, and play mats and plaques and, you know, anything that isn't money, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, very successful, and the promos actually sell for uh, uh, quite a bit of money. So I think if Versus can do something like that, then, you know, the game will definitely be popular. Uh, as it is right now, I, I don't think that the game is very sustainable by just having the one 10K every year at Gen Con. So we'll just ha have to see, you know, how it works out at and January, I think Jeff said he was making like an organized play announcement. So we'll just have to see how that, you know, that goes from there. Yeah, everything kind of screamed winter, and I was kind of hoping for a little bit of OP, even if it was just to kind of like the hobby shop level. Yeah. Um, to come out while we just had the singular set, so that we mm -hmm. could kind of start to see a meta game rise to fruition. Because uh, while the 10K gave us kind of some great building blocks, it didn't really hammer out a strong meta game. It just kind of identified some of the strongest main characters and how we could kind of go about exploring those in more depth. Right. Apart from kind of the bigger topics, I definitely want to pick your brain, um, getting a little bit more into the details. Um, you're known for doing a lot of kind of deck techs and deck explorations and deck building, and um, you post a ton of great articles on Versus HQ. Normally, I don't know, I'd say you're delivering one to two a week at this point, which is just phenomenal from like just a deck building standpoint. Most people aren't building one to two different decks a week, so I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about your process there, how you identify things. We just did a podcast on deck building, and I think that'd be a really good tie-in. Yeah, the uh, so I try to do. I think at this point, it's I personally write one per week, and then I have other content providers that usually, you know, we usually end up putting out anywhere between three to five articles a week. And uh, you know, me personally, like I said, I have a pretty good play group, and uh, you know, I'm able to test out all these you know different decks that I build, and you know, just form an article out of it. Uh, but I try to cover a different main character each week, and so far I've covered uh, Iron Man, Loki, and this week was Professor X. And, uh, you know, they're all decks that are very, very, very tested. I've probably played 50 games with each deck. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I don't want to say it comes naturally, but, like, you know, after you play so many games with a deck, it's not that hard to, you know... Formulate an article just out of those ideas. I've been pretty fortunate. Well, um, let's start with your freshest content. Let's start with Professor X. Um, what what were you kind of going at? Like, just talk to me analytically about you know you decided that you were going to build Professor X based stall deck. So, what led you to stall? And just kind of uh, don't you don't necessarily have to rehash your article word for mm -hmm. word, but walk me through like the flow sure. of the article, the flow of ideas, kind of your mental model for establishing it because i think that's something our listeners would really be interested in yeah sure so the way that i go about uh building decks is uh you know i figure out what the theme of the deck is what the strengths of the main character are and uh professor x is pretty self you know pretty self-explanatory there you know his his abilities are basically uh cerebro is you basically top five cards of your deck grab a character and then his secondary ability is uh, mind control. So both those effects are very, very powerful. So you have to figure out what his drawback is, and the drawback there is that you can't, you know, really attack for the first uh, four turns of the game. What I did was I grabbed all of the characters out of the box that did something without attacking, and that's really where the first version of the deck came from. Uh, you know, I tried the Iceman, Hope Summer's plan. I tried Gambit. Uh, you know, Cosmo, Yondu, um, like Green Goblin, Red Skull, Dr. Octopus, just things like that. Just trying to make sure that I don't fall behind really early in the game. And uh, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, anyone who's played the game knows that it's pretty tough to uh, stay ahead without attacking. The very first version uh, was good, 
but I could tell that it was still pretty weak overall. Uh, like Iceman and Hope Summers, while good in theory, didn't really like Adventure Board. That really got cut, and then I just you know kind of moved on from there to what the uh, final version ended up being. Uh, I still kept Iceman and Hope Summers, but I only put them in as one-ups because it turned out that they were still really really good, but only on like turn six or seven you know they're really good underdrops so you, you could play like uh, wolverine on six and then play iceman as well or wait till seven and play like a, a beast and then iceman plus hope summers or whatever so you know that combo is still intact you gain a lot of consistency from uh professor x because of his cerebro ability so that, that's really just you know where the deck eventually settled on uh trying to take advantage of subtle combos like gamma frost plus dormammu and uh, just some things like that to really take over the game and the deck is my favorite deck to play like people hate playing against it and uh <laughs> it's it's my favorite deck to play like by far excellent i it's definitely i'm probably going to be sleeving it up and I'll, I'll I'll probably go by the list to start off and then see if i'm going to put my own spin on it or not i'm definitely yeah, a you know better... it's it's a good place to start. Now, all of these decks that I write about and talk about, now, while they're tested, uh, they're really tailored to my play style and my play group. So, you know, your you know your miles may vary. Maybe your you know play group doesn't play like a lot of uh, you know Thanos decks, so you probably don't need the one random fortress. Maybe they don't play like a lot of uh, you know like a lot of decks that team attack early, like a Storm, for example. So you, you might not need Metal and Fire. You know, just things like that. Based on kind of the matchup scenario, um, what was Professor what what was Prof X strong against? What was he weak against? Um, maybe just kind of like generally like strong against aggro because of X, weak against mid range because of Y. You know, talk to me about where where it was awesome when where it could improve. The most difficult matchup is Storm uh, by far. Um, the reason is that you just can't get set up fast enough, and Storm. St- stuns you starting on turn one professor x will basically get stunned the first four turns of the game and then when when he levels uh, you have to fight tooth and nail to uh you know not get that last wound the matchup certainly isn't un- unwinnable but it's extremely uh, pretty difficult um i think if storm is really popular in, in your area you might want to try to fit yondu and and to the deck and just kind of uh you know concede the Thanos matchup at that point because mm-hmm. uh, this this version is tailored more to fight Star-Lord and Thanos and kind of just, you know, say, okay, Storm's pretty tough, but we really want to sure up the, you know, the other two most popular decks. So that's kind of uh, where this build led to. Um, so Thanos is actually a really tricky matchup um, because you don't want to play any of your early drops because you don't want them to level Thanos, and you really just want to try to set up uh, when they do level Thanos to steal it with uh, Professor X and then use their gauntlet against them. And that happens more often than you think it would. And uh, so that that's how you beat Thanos, basically use their own gauntlet. Uh, that's awesome. So you kind of let them get to about five loyalty counters and then um, suicide a low drop into him on your turn and then steal him after yeah. he's flipped? Because they can't... Yep. Con- I, I don't know if there's, like, a rule basis for that. So, like, they can't choose to not take a level up, right? Right, yeah, yeah. They okay. they have to level him. So, and it, it's, you know, once you gauntlet them, uh, now you, you can't stun their main character, of course, because you control their Thanos, but... You know, KOing a resource, KOing their best guy, m- making them discard their hand, like that's uh, that's usually enough to take over with your late drops, like uh, uh, Dormammu and your own Thanos supporting character. That matchup, like I said, is tricky, but it's it's a really fun fun matchup for as dull as a deck that Thanos is uh, overall, because like every game is basically the same. Uh, that that matchup is actually quite a bit of fun. And then Star-Lord is a pretty good matchup for you as well. Um, they, they basically have all of the same cards that, that you do as far as characters go, but you have, have the ability to steal theirs. And uh, that's usually you know enough to win the game and then mm. close the game out with Thanos. Like Stealing their Adam, their Adam Warlock is uh, really, really, really good. That's why the Emma Frost is in the deck actually is for the Star-Lord matchup. Uh, Being be able to play, play the, the Emma Frost on turn 5 or 6 
uh, and, and making them discard their hand, which typically has like Drax or Adam uh, a Warlock in it, and then stealing them with Dormammu is uh, pretty funny. Talk to me a little bit about Versus HQ. Um, how did you end up starting it? Talk to me a little bit about how you kind of recruited writers, whether that just kind of came from your play group or kind of the old faithfuls, the old Versus pros. Yeah, well, you know, because I've been in games for so long, you know, I've played uh, uh, professionally in, you know, Magic, WoW, uh, like tons and tons of games, the old Versus games. So I, I, I know a lot of people, and it just kind of came to when, you know, I talked to different playgroups from Vegas and, uh, like, the Philly area, uh, some, some guys from Florida and Texas. And, you know, they were just like, well, why don't you just start a site? It's like, well, okay, cool. So, you know, it's – it's not that much work to put together a website, for me anyway. You know, I've, I've built websites in the past, so like building the website was the was the the easy part, and the hard part was actually getting people to write for free. You know, basically because you know I don't get any income from from this site, so uh, you know, and it, it just kind of worked out where people have no issue at all writing for free once a month twice a month whatever and of course i like to write uh, myself and uh so you know i i write about uh, one a week like i said earlier you know it just kind of all came together right around gen con people sent in tournament uh, reports uh made some forums for the uh, uh, community because people were asking for it and you know the feedback has been great and you know this really wouldn't be possible without people really you know saying all the good things that they are and helping out when they can and you know i i really enjoy doing it yeah it's it's got to be something that's very rewarding yeah it's we're fun. trying to we're trying to do something on a little bit of a smaller scale a little bit more manageable scale and mm-hmm. it's it's great to see your success out there it's definitely inspiring to us um i know that there are definitely some people who are kind of looking more into producing content and yeah. um, are you looking for writers or you're looking to drive more traffic to the site? Um, yeah, sure. You... I mean, you know, I'll, I'll always, you know, accept content. You know, I, I, I don't care if you're really like a pro player or just someone casual. Like, you know, people just like reading about the game. And, you know, if, if your ideas, you know, if, if you want to share them, then, you know, by all means, anyone can submit an, an article. In fact, if you go to the website and click on i think it's the contact button yeah uh it has our social media pages facebook and twitter and then uh it has a, an, an email ad address there for article submissions and you know if you just want to ask like uh questions you know my personal emails up there as well as uh you know the the mail for the website so i mean i'll take anything and everything and you know the the traffic for the site has been just amazing i couldn't believe it um i i have a tracker on there uh under the admin part and the articles like the professor x article had 700 hits like and that's just in the last when i posted last friday tuesday monday i don't know what day i posted it but uh like you know they have that many hits in that uh, short amount of time for you know like a game that's not super popular yet uh, was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, upper deck take note. That's uh, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, great on the hit train. Talk to me a little bit, bit about your local play group. Mostly casual, mostly competitive. It's oh. it's a pretty good mix. Yeah, um, there there are some players on there or in there rather that uh, you know have played WoW competitively, like the WoW card game, uh, the old versus game. There are a few players. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the group is pretty competitive for the most part. Uh, you know, there are your casual players that just play for the IP and that's perfectly fine. You know, we, we, we treat, you know, treat everyone the same and, you know, I, I help, uh, people out when they ask, you know, I help build decks for them, things like that. Um, but out, out of the eight to 10 people, I'd say four of them are, you know, like, pro caliber you know players so it's a really good mix and i think everyone is very helpful so that's pretty awesome yeah do you have you kind of developed some specialists you know some people are better at building some people are better at tweaking 
eventually you'll end up with some metagame specialists some people who just kind of have that uh, paternal knowledge of hey this is coming people are going to react like this we should be on this next step or have you seen those kind of roles develop or is just everybody kind of just dipping their toes in and seeing where the game takes them uh, there are a, a few players that are really starting to get the hang of deck building they're coming up with some pretty cool ideas uh, which is awesome but for the most part uh, you know people just come and play uh, you know, there's not really any specialists per se. Um, you know, I, I I build a ton of decks. I probably build five different decks a week just trying to uh, find different things that work. My my latest kick is building Ultron decks. I probably built five or six different Ultron decks in, in the last week trying to get something to work. But uh, I don't know. He's, he's pretty tricky. My so. first variation on Ultron was a uh, Thanos deck. My yeah. goal was just to, like, use him aggressively from the front row so that I didn't sacrifice board position. Mm-hmm. That I got the extra really quick KOs to level Thanos kind of almost uber-aggressively. So instead of kind yeah. of treating him as a control deck, kind of going more with, like, an aggressive slant. And it was... um. A little bit of a mess <laughs> right like sure. th- you just had to draw way too location heavy for it to work but yeah um, you know what, that, main, what main characters have you been messing around with ultron well you know it's funny that you mentioned thanos because the pre-gen con well actually at gen con like pre-10k event uh when we were testing decks uh the at, as soon as ultron was spoiled like at their you know info night on wednesday of gen con like i immediately just entered the think tank and i'm like man this card has to be awesome and the first two decks that i built were thanos because i was like well you want characters to get ko'd so what's better than just getting three or four of them and then the second deck that that i built was uh a storm with uh with ultron like a super like aggro storm like michael barnes's deck uh with storm or with uh, ultron and the problem with both of those decks was with Thanos, you had to commit a lot of resources to do the Ultron trick, which left you with not a lot of resources to use the gauntlet. And then with uh, Storm, the problem was basically the same. You wanted your blues to use her uh, level one ability, and uh, you just didn't really have them there for for Ultron uh, left over. And you didn't really need Ultron a lot of time anyway. But lately, I've been trying uh, Spider-Man with Ultron because I think that's a really cool card interaction there. It just hasn't really been panning out. Green Goblin, I've tried a few uh, Green Goblin decks that have been pretty aggressive overall. Um, they kind of curved out with uh, with Ultron. Uh, you know, a lot of characters with flight, uh, that you know, that sort of deal. And that deck has some promise, actually, but I don't think it's quite there yet. I'll probably write about it here in a few weeks. Um, yeah, I mean... Goblin and Spider-Man are two that I've really been working on the most lately. So, I mean, I'm I'm really really committed to finding a Green Goblin deck that isn't just complete trash because I think it, his ability is actually not the worst. It's just his uh his, his stats at at level one are just you know kind of tough. Yeah, so. it's it's hard because you look at Hulk and you look at Thanos for example, and they're not really heavy hitters at level one. But when leveled, they kind of show two of the defining spectrums of kind of an aggro control yeah. deck in Hulk's case, or like a, a true control-ish combo deck, you know, where if you assemble the right resources, Thanos yeah. looks combo-y, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I, – I shouldn't just say his stats. Like, his stats are probably perfectly fine. It's just like his stats plus his ability or lack thereof at, at level one is uh, really what holds him down, like – most of the tier one characters, Star Lord, Storm, Thanos, uh, their their abilities. Well, maybe not so much Thanos, but Storm and Star Lord for sure. Uh, their level one ability is very you know game altering. Whereas Green Goblin, it's like, eh, sure they can just discard a card at random and nothing really happens. So you know that's really what you know keeps them from being pretty good. So yeah, it's it, it's hard. Like I feel, uh, I feel like they may have watered down his ability. Like it yeah. may have been more effective as your 
stun a character or your opponent has to reveal their hand and you choose one or stun a character or your opponent chooses two. Like, I feel like it was really hard to kind of get to a place where that would be actually a sadistic choice. Whereas right now it's just kind of like, um, if I don't need the board presence, I'm empowered to say no. Um, go ahead and just stun him. And if yeah. I do need the board presence, go ahead and take something out of my hand. Cause at right. the end of the game, the name of the game is board presence, you know, with this game, you know, it's kind yeah. of hard board presence snowballs and it's not necessarily as, um, it's not as steamrolly as like say Hearthstone is where mm -hmm. your board presence eventually just reaches this point of no return where somebody's not coming back. Yeah. You know, there are, there are not a ton of board presences where you can't come back from as long as you're playing a game where everybody's throwing punches, but it, it is kind of the name of the game at least is kind of the, meta things that we've noticed here is um you really have to be contributing meaningfully to the board and be taking away key elements from your opponent's board or you're gonna have a bad time yeah and that's really where green goblin struggles so you know i'm still trying to figure out a way to make him good and i think going like the super like aggressive path is probably ideal with him and uh, you know the 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 issue then is like okay why play Green Goblin like this when I can just play Storm? But, uh, you know, Green Goblin does have a few things going for him that Storm doesn't. So, well, you know, we'll see how it pans out in the end. But I'm still working on some lists there. Yeah, my guess is Green Goblin's going to be a lot better. And once you get a refined list together, it's probably going to be better in the aggro matchups. You know, right. it's going to, like, Storm v. Green Goblin. I think that Metal and Fire alone is going to really push that in green goblins favor yeah that's another one of my like pet cards i i have that card in every deck that i possibly can and that card is always good it's just one of those subtle plot twists that people don't really think about and uh, well now in and in, in my group they think about it quite a bit now because i played all the time but like if if you're if your group doesn't play much of that card like you can just blow them out completely with it and it's actually insane and it's really really good in the uh the prof x deck because he's a 4-8 at at level two and your opponent has to usually team attack him and then when you play metal and fire it's just a complete blowout and uh you know that that card is unreal yeah i think my favorite thing about metal and fire is it's virtually impossible to play around yeah because team attacks make themselves available to a degree right like yeah right it becomes obvious when hey i'm gonna have to team attack in order to get through that adam warlock or this i'm just not gonna win this game yeah and that's the thing with playing around cards in in this game is like someone in the facebook group at one point said you know just play around x card or play around y card it's like well you know that's good in theory but in practice what are your options play around this card or don't attack question mark i mean you know <laughs> you like you you have to attack you know that's how you win the game so you know oftentimes there's no way to play around cards like that you know your your alternative is to just do a you know single attack you know just a regular melee attack and just you know kind of forfeit to the fact that they might have you know metal fire it's better that than getting blown out in a big team attack like that's for sure mm -hmm. so no it's that's an interesting theory as far as playing around because different card games offer you afford you different opportunities to play around certain cards yeah. and um like versus is kind of interesting because like like take a look at even the odds versus dr strange like if you're playing a character like especially a main character a la hulk or thanos that has the ability to grow out of control very quickly via plus one plus one counters yeah um you can't really play around even the odds right it's going to happen because that character is going to get involved in combat in one function or another but yeah. you can play around dr strange by making it so that it isn't an auto stun if strange ever flips the counters from pluses to minus yeah so just kind of really trying to manage your numbers in that regard yeah, you know, there there are certainly cards that you can play around, like, you know, Fine Cover is a perfect example. Like, you, you can play around Fine Cover, you just attack with, you know, more dudes, and that's where Metal and Fire really comes in. And with the Prof X deck, you know, it's like, sure, your opponent's going to really start to, to you know, play around Fine Cover, 
and that's when you really get them with metal and fire when they attack with that extra guy and uh, you know that's usually you know pretty uh, crippling especially if you also have the fine cover but uh yeah it's it's pretty brutal like i i like the card and i feel like more people should probably be at least testing with it. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. I reconfigured Star-Lord entirely just to have more of a villain's theme so I could fit in Metal and Fire and have a better matchup against the aggressive decks because Star-Lord starts out with a 5-butt, yeah. and um, you're going to have to team attack to stun him in the first three turns. So because of that, Metal and Fire became a huge blowout if I could resolve a Ronin early or if I could you know, slap a Doc Ock behind him for whatever reason, so... Yeah, I mean, and and it, it puts counters on, on the character, which is pretty huge. So in, in the case of Star-Lord, who's a 2-5, you know, you put a minus-one, minus-one counter on him, now he's a 1-4. So if you managed, or if you happen to not stun him in that combat, they still just have a 1-4 character that they have to protect, you know, until he gets stunned. So it's, you know, it, it works on offense and on defense, it's just... It's just a good, solid plot twist. Yeah. Um, what What are some non-intuitive plays that you've seen, for example? Um, in my group, we've discovered that it's often a really good idea if you can't uh, interact meaningfully with a Sabretooth, for mm. example, who's starting to kind of run out of control. Say they got a turn three Sabretooth. Um, it's out, out, actually often right to kind of suicide attack your team. Mm-hmm. if you don't have much of a board presence so that Sabretooth can't get that additional counter on the next turn? Like, have you seen... That's kind of counterintuitive, and I don't think that's something that everybody would see. Have you seen kind of an equivalent to something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's tough to think of examples off the top of my head. I mean, I I do see weird plays pretty often that, uh, you know, end up being, you know, correct plays, like, Thanos is a perfect example because you see all sort of weird things that the Thanos player does. Um, like, for example, if you're – like, I, I've i been ahead on the board with Thanos, like, you know, having three or four characters out, you know, being way ahead. And my opponent basically just has, like, two characters out. And I, I find that it's often right to just suicide all of your characters into their main character to level up Thanos and just gaunt with them. Like, that usually seals the game. And uh, that seems really counterintuitive to, you know, sacrifice your board basically. But when it's for the good of, you know, using the most powerful effect in the entire game, you know, I guess it's, you know, worth it. People selling out to, you know, stun certain characters, you know, that that's another thing that happens pretty often and uh, just doesn't seem right. But sometimes you just really have to stun like that one certain character. Uh, the the berserkers are, you know, a a good example like you mentioned you know making sure that they stay managed and don't grow out of hand because uh, i i've seen many a saber tooth grow to like eight eight or nine nine and then the game is just over at that point but uh yeah i mean there are quite a few plays like that i'll i'll have to make note of you know awkward plays that i see and like stuff them in an article or something but yeah there are some some weird things that i see I think it's just one of those things that it's good to kind of educate the people who are in like different pockets of play groups that you can really play this game creatively. And what is the absolute right play with a certain deck might be the absolute wrong play with another deck, even if you're dealing with like a similar plot to a suite and a similar character suite, right? Yeah. It's very much who you're playing against. Like um, one of the better ways to beat Thanos is to really not, offer characters to right. be KO'd. Yeah. Like if you've got a really dominant late game, you can mess Thanos up pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, by neglecting to lay drops that aren't going to be extremely board impactful. You know, yeah. Well, you know, and on on the flip side, to beat Thanos, you know, a lot of times, like if if you're playing Storm, of course, you don't want to just not play characters. Like you you want to you know, stun Thanos as quickly and as often as you can. But, you know, like like you just said, if you feel like you have a really good late game, then, you know, not playing your Mantis and not playing your Nick Fury or whatever. Like, it seems really counterintuitive to not play your ramp cards in a ramp deck, but it's, it's you know, it's probably best in your favor to not do that. So... 
Yeah, that's uh, I, I lo- that's definitely a quirk of mine. I definitely like the quirky plays because I think they make the best stories, mm-hmm. and I think they also kind of uh, help you remind you why you play games like these. Because yeah. at least for me, a major selling point is the ability to uh, be creative. You know, to yeah. think about problems in different ways and see if I can solve that deck building problem or solve that matchup problem. There are some pretty awesome plays that i i've seen in in this game and uh you know it's really fun to see someone find some really cool card interaction and turn like a game around that they would lose otherwise like i i've i've won games with professor x uh that i had no business winning just because my my opponent would play a certain character like i i won one game because my opponent played than or played uh, his uh, his mags like he played the uh, magneto and I didn't have mine, so like I was able to s- steal his mag Magneto, like attack his Drax or something with it, uh, get like a mutual trait there, steal his Magneto with Dormammu, and actually won the game from that point. And it's <laughs> just, you know, it's really cool how you, you could do things like that uh, that wouldn't otherwise be possible. So like it's like I I I love the game, and I see different card interactions every day that you know are are really cool. Yeah, it's. I've been. I've been amazed at. This is once again speaking to the depth of the game, right? Yeah. It's just, it's enormously complex in a world that is actually pretty simple. You know, we've only got, I think, effectively a hundred unique cards, something in that range. Yeah, not even. Like I think it's ninety something. So yeah. So the fact that it's so deep is, you know, speaks volumes for the future of, of the game. You know, assuming that they keep sporting it both from like an organized play and from like a testing you know right. i feel that the game the game could be in trouble if they were like power creep could be a huge problem and you kind of already see that with such a narrow set i mean there'll always be a best card and there'll always be a worst card but you can end up in situations where gamora who's actually like a premier three drop might look terrible in three sets because they had to print interesting three drops that could compete with the existing suite right yeah i definitely appreciate your time and i really enjoyed picking your brain tonight is there anything you want to say to the uh, community at the large at large or uh, hit any uh listeners that might not be overlapping with versus headquarters yet uh no i mean just try to uh try to check out all the you know uh, groups like the main group that has the most action is the facebook uh, versus two-player collective group, uh, you know, it can get pretty hostile at times. But as long as <laughs> today it, was an example of that. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. Like you know, apparently I instigate s- somehow, and uh, oh just, man, I, I I always get myself in trouble. But as as long as you could look past you know the hostility and realize that it, it is the internet, um, you know there are a lot of internet tough guys. Uh, you know the group does have a lot of good information and most of the discussions are really good um you just kind of have to look past uh the ones that get a little heated um also the i'm sorry it isn't terrible per se i mean like it just it just shows passion i mean we, we don't have any like terrible threats or anything going on like it's it's a pretty friendly environment yeah, by and large yeah, ab- absolutely is there's you probably know. only about half a dozen people that like to instigate so and that... even then once you know who they are it's yeah. no big deal you and... just you just kind of smile and a yeah. lot of it comes down to like there's no tone there's no body right. language it's always the problem with the written word to a degree like yeah you really can't tell when people are being sarcastic or trolly when normally you'd see a raised eyebrow and you'd know okay i can just laugh at this and i don't have to respond to that mm-hmm. you know yep. and <clears throat> and people post tournaments in there all the time uh, they talk about decks, talk about certain cards. I mean, it, the the group is like 800 and some odd members. So when you only have half a dozen people out of the 800 that are kind of a pain to deal with, like that's pretty awesome, you know. And uh, the versus headquarters forums are typically pretty active. Um, you know, like every day there's always people posting there. Uh, you know, ad- ad- admittedly, I only check it probably once every couple of days but i do check it and moderate when i have to um but it's there, there's always good content there to read about um but yeah just 
keep up with the groups and you know that that's really what's helping grow the game i i think the running joke now in the verse well it's not really a joke some people actually think it's pretty serious but uh groot right now is the <laughs> the the hot topic in the uh, uh facebook group so i've been building different Groot decks uh you know testing them to see if there's any truth to this and uh while I was pretty harsh in my tier article listing him as like one of the worst main characters, um, I was probably wrong in that respect. But that being said, he still has no business being like one of the top eight or so main characters. Um, so yeah, so we'll see how how that goes. But uh, yeah, uh, Kirk uh, Buckendorf, he's one of the moderators of the Facebook group. He's from the Vegas group. But he has a pinned post that has uh, the Versus Headquarters site link, uh, a card database, a deck builder, the rules. Uh, he made some custom dice for, for the game, which I highly recommend people check out. I know we, that we didn't talk about it, but the, the custom dice that you could buy off the Game Crafter uh, are amazing. I don't know how anyone plays the game without them. Um, yeah, right now we're using colored Vegas dice. Sure, yeah, that'll like, probably work as well. Like anything that's colored, probably yeah, work. blue, blue for XP, red for wounds, you know, sure, yellow yeah. for neg one, neg one, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, you, you just kind of figure out what works for your play group. Um, yeah. Ooh, fun tip while I'm thinking about it. It's uh, I don't know if this was definitely something that came out in the 10K, but we discovered that it's way better to just kind of track your wounds on the ma version of the main character that isn't always flipping and turning sideways and things like that. So we'd always track XP and wounds on our level two character that's kind mm -hmm. of off to the side invisible. And... Right. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. Like people should probably do that. Uh, people at the 10K were actually using paper as well. Like they just had like a sh sheet of paper off to the side, and they were tracking XP and wounds on that. And I mean, I guess if your, you know, if your opponent is fine with that, uh, whatever. But let me tell you what: when I was doing coverage, it was impossible to figure out how many wounds were on characters <laughs> when they were just using paper. But uh, no, I mean that's that's fine as well. But yeah, I mean Kirk does a great job with the group. Uh, you know, he has links to all the regional Facebook groups for Atlanta, Texas, like the the international group, so on and so forth. So yeah, check it out. Uh, definitely join in on conversations don't feel like you know overwhelmed or that your voice doesn't matter because it does and it's just a really good group overall hey guys thanks for listening we're on stitchers and itunes now subscribe so you don't miss out on timely content our rss feed will keep you got keep you up to date on any releases that we have we're working to get front page coverage with versus hq when we post show notes you'll be able to find them there thanks for the support